Have you ever designed and developed a product that you thought would absolutely sell and be successful in the market only to have it flounder or fail when you actually launched it? This could happen for any number of reasons. Maybe the market preferences and expectations changed by the time you were able to launch. Maybe you made some assumptions about product features that turned out to be incorrect. Maybe you priced it incorrectly so that your target audience ended up being unable to afford it or thought it was inferior because it was too cheap. Some product failures can be hard to avoid, but sometimes products fail because the producer developed the product based mostly or entirely on assumptions without ever verifying if these assumptions were correct with their target audience. Speaking with your customers or your potential customers and using their input can give you a lot of great info on how you should design your product. You don't have to make assumptions about whether they will like a certain feature. You can ask them directly. Then, when you have a minimum viable product or a prototype, you can share it with them and get their feedback before you launch it to a wider market. But how do you go from a concept for a product that is in your mind to the launch of that product all while incorporating your audience's feedback? Luckily, Bostic is here to help. Welcome to Attached to Hygiene, the podcast that enables you to grow your knowledge and influence in the disposable hygiene industry. My name is Jack Hughes, and my mission is to help you, the absorbent hygiene article producer, design and produce the best possible product and meet the needs of your consumers. On today's episode, we're speaking with Amritha Seigel. Amritha has founded two companies that specialize in delivering sustainable absorbent hygiene products to consumers. One of those products is targeted towards women in rural India, while the other is targeted towards busy working moms who are willing and able to pay for a premium sustainable diaper for their baby and have it delivered to their front door when they need it. So needless to say, Amritha knows a thing or two about identifying a need, developing a concept for a product to meet that need, getting input and feedback on the product, for incorporating that feedback into the product design and launching the final product to those same people who gave her feedback. And while this concept is not new in our industry, it is rare for an article producer to talk about it publicly. And her insights make for an incredibly interesting case study about a really important group of consumers in our industry. Today, Amritha will share what her and her team learned about this group of millennial mothers, how they turned that info into a target audience for their product, what information they collected from this target audience, and how they use that feedback and input to develop the product that these moms were telling her they wanted. Before we play the interview, I want to make one quick request of our listeners. I love making this podcast, and I want Bostic to continue to create the best possible show for the disposable hygiene industry. The best way for us to do that is by getting feedback from you, our listeners. So we'd like to ask all of our listeners to take a quick three-minute survey to share your feedback on the show. You can tell us what you like, what you don't like, and even let us know what you'd like us to cover in future episodes. And as a thank you for filling out the survey, we'll send you our brand new corporate social responsibility white paper. The white paper will cover topics such as the importance of sustainable production and design, responsible manufacturing, the consumer need for safety and transparency, 
circularity and hygiene, and more. We won't be sharing access to the white paper with anyone else for weeks. So if you want early access, please take three minutes out of your day to complete the survey. To fill out the survey, go to attachedtohygiene.com and click the big button at the top of the page to share your feedback. We'll also share the link for the survey in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. And now we'll get back to the episode. Joining me today to introduce Natural Nikki to our audience is Amrita Saigo. Amrita, thank you for joining the show. Thank you so much, Jack, for having me. Now, you've certainly made a splash in the market, but I'd like for, for those of our listeners who don't know for you to introduce yourself and, and your background in the market. Definitely, yeah. So uh, my name is Amrita Seigel, and I'm the founder and CEO of Kudos Diapers. Uh, I grew up in the Boston area, went to MIT for undergrad, where I studied mechanical engineering. Uh, right after undergrad, I joined Procter & Gamble. So that's how I got very uh, interested in the CPG and specifically consumer absorbance space. Started my career there working on a few different brands. I was always in automation engineering and manufacturing, worked on Always Pads, Gillette Razors, and some new business creation and development. And it was really during my time at P&G that I saw firsthand how much plastic we were putting into consumer absorbance. And it's no surprise that baby diapers are the third largest contributor to landfill waste. I think people are always shocked when they hear that because diapers feel so soft and they're engineered to feel so soft. So people assume it's made out of cotton or some sort of sustainable natural material. But in reality, almost every component of the majority of baby diapers on the market, especially the big popular brands, everything is polypropylene, polyethylene sourced from plastic source from fossil-based resources. So I left P&G to start my first company actually in India called Sathi Pads, uh, which is now one of the leading eco-friendly sanitary pad brands making 100% biodegradable sanitary pads out of waste banana tree fiber. And it's been a super fun and exciting journey since starting that company. It's still very very much growing. I'm no longer involved in it on a day-to-day -day basis as I wanted to uh, move back to the U.S., but came back to the U.S., uh, went to Harvard Business School to get my MBA, and then actually joined, took a little, took a little bit of a detour for a few years, um, and I joined Google X. And then as I entered my early 30s and all my friends started having kids, I don't have kids yet, but I'm expecting my first a baby girl in June. But three years ago, when this idea of kudos came about, it, it kind of came about because I was talking to a number of my friends that had young kids and they kept telling me two, two problems with their diapers. One, that they wanted to find a more eco-friendly, natural, organic diaper, but the first problem was the ones that they tried, they felt like did not perform at the same level as the very popular Pampers and Huggies brands. So that was problem one, that they felt like with eco-friendly diapers, they were making a compromise in performance, that they were going to have more leaks, they were going to have more rashes, it wasn't going to be as absorbent. So that was like problem number one. And then problem number two was really the greenwashing they felt a lot of the eco-friendly natural brands did in the sense of when you think of an eco-friendly brand, you you just assume everything is sourced sustainably, it's biodegradable, it's compostable. And with a lot of the eco-friendly diaper brands, that's not the case. What does eco-friendly in diapers generally mean? There are definitely exceptions in a few small brands, but generally with the very popular eco-friendly diaper brands out there, 
everything touching your baby's skin is still polypropylene or polyethylene. What do these brands mean when they say they're eco-friendly? They mean they have no added dyes, fragrances, phthalates, no chlorine, so which is all great steps in the right direction. Don't get me wrong. Like I think those are all important steps that I'm very excited that a lot of these companies are taking. But at the end of the day, they are still everything that's touching your baby's skin, everything that that you're you're touching and feeling in the diaper is still a polypropylene or polyethylene plastic derived from petrochemicals, right? So how do we get rid of that plastic-based, fossil fuel-based plastics from the diapers, right? That That's really what we set out to do. It's like, yes, we were absolutely going to make sure we have no added chemicals and fragrances and chlorine and phthalates, but how do we now get rid of the polypropylene and the polyethylene and not have them and not have no fossil fuel based plastics in the diaper. That was really what we set out to do. And, and so what, what is the product? Um, <laughs> the product is, is now the first disposable diaper on the market where everything that's touching your baby's skin is a hundred percent cotton. And we source all of our cotton from local farmers in Mississippi. Our diapers are manufactured in, in Germany and the remaining components of the diaper, anything that's not cotton is the majority is all sourced from sugarcane fiber, cornstarch, and sustainably harvested wood pulp. So that is, um, that's at a high level, um, what we're doing. And I can definitely get into like what, what made it so hard to get to this? Um, and why have other brands not been able to use cotton? We can definitely dive into, into that kind of stuff, uh, in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I did a little background research on you. The, the story around Sati is amazing. Like I would encourage people to go check out that story. There's some other podcasts out there that, that it, it was just a really cool story to hear and some of the problems you face. So, um, I'm sure you learned a lot from that experience yeah. and, and have used that Definitely. in kudos. So great. Well, as I like to do with all of our guests, you obviously have a deep background in the absorbent product industry, maybe not yeah. as traditional as some other people in the industry, yeah. but in your time in the industry, what have you enjoyed most about working in it? I think there's two things. I think the first thing I would say that's really fun about working in this industry, it's that it's a product everybody understands, knows, and uses, right? It's so fun to work on products where, I mean, you're spending your every for me right it's like every waking minute every day thinking about this and improving it and then to be able to work on a product that like that i mean we're not yet in retail but that <laughs> hypothetically soon that um right now we're only direct to consumer and sell from our website but that you show up at target you show up at cvs and you see your product there there's a huge satisfaction working on a product that that everybody uses everybody knows about and so, so that that's one thing the second thing i i think you will attest to this as well i know we we go to a lot of the same conferences i think the the consumer absorbent industry is a very small knit community everyone is very tight and it's some of the most wonderful people that that I've, I've ever encountered in my life. So I think just the community of, of people and engineers and marketers that you're, you're always running into it is also very awesome. Everyone's very helpful. And I can't say that's true with every other industry um, out there, but I think that's something else I feel fortunate about to be working in an industry where everyone's willing to help each other and share learnings. So I think it's a combination of working on like an exciting product. Or, Maybe people wouldn't call it an exciting product. <laughs> we would. We would. <laughs> we would. We would. Yeah. <laughs> Calling it a necessary product. I also think that there's just a ton of innovation. I think this is another thing people don't realize, right? Just how much engineering goes into designing baby diapers, right? How complex they are, how technically complicated they are, how many components go into it. And so I think there's 
from an engineering perspective, I think there's a lot of technical excitement around things that can be done and improved on. And that that's another thing that makes me really excited and happy to work in this industry. <laughs> yeah, I share those same those same reasons for enjoying the industry. There's there's always seem to be something new going on, whether it be a new material or new designs that that people are adjusting to. And I also worked in industries that weren't directly, you know, end consumer related. So trying to explain to people what we produce and how that's applicable to them or not applicable to them is is a little difficult. So I, I enjoy working in an industry where I can say we make adhesives for these products that you use every day or every month. And it it makes it more relatable and and yeah, very, very exciting. <laughs> and uh Right. It's it's very easy to say if our if our adhesive's not in your product, your product is not going to stay together, right? Like exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's always things that people can relate to. Yep, absolutely. And explaining kind of the complexity, as you said, of those products that, that there's a lot of engineering that goes into making sure that those products work, they don't leak, they perform as intended, and and that those you know people continue buying them. So yeah, very exciting. So. We've had a couple of guests lately that I, I stumbled across their learnings in the same way. You presented at the most recent Hygienics in, in uh, Arizona at the end of 2021. I was not able to attend in person, but saw your slides and was immediately interested in the topic and, and wanted to talk to you about that. So I was wondering if you could just kind of introduce the background of what led to that, that presentation at Hygienics. Yeah, so we gave a presentation on the millennial mom and what she is looking for. And how we did this was we we surveyed over nearly 100 of our customers, our Kudos customers, to understand what are they looking for in a diaper? What are they looking for in other baby products? Let's talk to them about like their day-to-day -day life, their lifestyle, where they live, how they spend their money, where they get their groceries, to really understand more details around our customer and how we can better cater to her. And one thing I do keep saying her and and the reason for that is we actually thought about this early on that why don't we create a brand that's focused towards dads? We we actually spent a lot of time thinking about that. Can we create a baby diaper brand focused towards dads because every baby product is targeted towards mom. But after interviewing a number of customers, understanding purchasing power, purchasing decisions, what came out very clear and transparently was, I would say today more than ever parenting, at least with our target consumer, parents are very 50-50, no longer that the mom is doing everything, which I think is amazing. And, and, the, and I'm glad that the world is in that direction. That being said, when it comes to what products they are going to use with their baby, the mom is still the one who decides. The dad will happily buy the product. They will happily change all the diapers. They will do everything. But when it comes to figuring out what products we're going to buy, it's still the majority of the time. It's the mom doing the research, the mom asking her mom friends, the mom looking at her local mom groups, doing the research online. And I don't have a good, I don't have a good reason for why that is the case, but that um, that is the case. And if I look at all of my friends, it's it's the same thing. Um, I think parenting is 50-50, but when it comes to deciding what to buy, the mom still has has the majority of the say. So I think for that reason, that's why I keep saying her and why we call our consumer natural Nikki and we are not focused um on on the dad. Um, although they are very much a part of this this entire journey. So I'll give you a little bit of background on like millennial moms and, and who are they? And then the specific subset of millennial moms that we are targeting, we call her natural Nikki. 
and I will talk about her in a little bit more detail as well. So millennials, like as of today, millennials refer to the population ages 25 to 40. So there are about 40 million millennial women in the U.S., who will give birth to around 75 million children. So some of these children are already born. Some of them um, will be born because like I said, the, the age of millennial moms is 25 to 40. So currently it's about 90% of all US births are, from, are coming from millennial moms. So millennial moms are a very, very important segment when you're thinking of, of the baby industry and specifically for us, the baby diaper industry. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> few other interesting things. Millennials are having children later in life than previous generations. I believe in 2020, the average age of first-time moms in the U.S. was 26. Compare that to 21 in 1980. So there's definitely a trend towards moms having children later in life. And in the natural Nikki segment, which I will get to, the average age for first-time mom is 32. So you're even looking at six years older than the, the average millennial woman. And, and I mean, I'm pregnant with my first and I'm about to turn 34. So, um, so <laughs> I'm even older than that. Um, yeah. Uh, and that and, certainly and, would in, influence your, your own purchasing decisions and preferences and things like that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And then the other interesting thing is that 60% of millennial women surveyed said that they would delay having children until reaching a certain level within their career, which which makes sense. You want to now have career stability, financial stability before you embark on 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 uh, having children because that's obviously another huge um, huge life change. So that's a little bit about like millennial moms um, in general, and then. If I'm talking more about natural Nikki, which we estimate is roughly 15 to 20% of all millennial moms. So when that's kind of the, the segment that we're targeting is about 15 to 20% of all millennial moms right now. If I had to like just sum up who natural Nikki is, and that's what we always call our consumer. And if I had to like give you like, here's a bullet point of like 10 things about natural Nikki, I'll, I'll let me just try and phrase this as, as simply as possible to give you a sense of who she is. So she's 32 years old and married. She's a marketing manager at a VC funded startup. She's a first time mom who really wants to get it right with her baby. She cares a lot, most about the safety of the materials touching her baby's skin. She really wants to make sure she's doing everything right. She would like to clot diaper, but she's a busy person. She's in a household with two working parents and clot diapering just doesn't fit into her busy schedule. And she prefers products and along those lines. So she prefers products that are better for the environment, but not at the expense of something that's going to take more time because she's very busy and not at the expense of performance. She's not willing to compromise on leaks and blowouts. If I'm talking specifically about diapers, she's not willing to compromise on something that's going to, if it's eco-friendly, but it's going to give her baby more rashes, have more leaks, anything that's going to affect her sleep, the mom's sleep and well-being as it is, she's already sleep deprived and has so little time. So she needs products that are going to perform exceptionally well. So I would say that's kind of like a high level of who, just to give you a sense of who natural Nikki is, she also tends to live in a large city, college educated, has a good paying job, uh, career stability and financial stability before, like I said, she has her first shot. <laughs> and that's it's really interesting. I, I think, as I mentioned, and, and you, you mentioned kind of uh, starting your own family a little later in life, the experience, the career stability, 
the growing up and the time that she has, like all that's going to influence her purchasing decisions. And and I, I think in, in a trend we've seen in, in our industry is a lot of the changes and push towards sustainability, some of the competition from startups, a lot of that's happening in the femcare space um, mm-hmm. or the, the menstrual health space. And and I so I think kind of my prediction or thought is you know, women are exposed to this in the purchase of their own menstrual health products. And that is then when they're starting their families, transferring over into their purchasing decisions for babies. And and I think, you, you know, your research shows that absolutely. So with that in mind, everything you explained about natural Nikki, what is she then looking for in a diaper? Oh, okay. She's looking, she's looking for a lot of things when it comes to her diaper. I guess let's kind of like first talk about like how she feels as a new mom. I think there's a lot that goes, um, that goes into that, like in that newborn phase, her priorities are like, what is best for her baby and for her? Right. So she's looking for that balance, right? She knows she can't have it all, but she's looking for a balance of what is good for the baby and her that works into her schedule. She wants the healthiest, most non-toxic safe products possible for her baby. At the same time, it's important for her to continue pursuing and growing her career. And it's also a priority for her to take care of her own physical, emotional, and mental well-being, because if she's not able to do that, then she's not going to be able to be the best self she can for her child. So I would say that that's one thing. The second area is like, there's a lot of challenges. It's overwhelming. Being a first time mom is completely overwhelming. Figuring how to feed, whether her baby is sleepy enough, like why her baby's crying, when her baby's crying, all this while being sleep derived, it's exhausting. There's just so much advice out there. So many blogs, so many people giving advice. So there's, there's just a lot of conflicting advice out there as to what is best for her baby. So she has to figure out who to trust. Where does she go to get that right information? And for her, she feels that at this stage in her life as a new mom, like balance feels impossible. Managing the baby, her career, time with her partner. She's just trying to figure it all out. And then, so I would say those are things and she still, she still very much wants to find time to exercise, to go to her yoga class or ride her Peloton as examples, um, <laughs> or go on a run or whatever, whatever allows her to, to feel healthy and healthy, like healthy eating is important to her. As an example, she's probably someone who's doing her grocery shopping at Whole Foods and loves free, sweet green. And, and she's someone who does, attempts to do a lot of research before making a decision for what she's going to purchase. So th- that's just like a little bit of background on like what's going through her her mind as a new parent like all the things she's trying to balance so then when you mentioned a couple of the brands she would use whole foods and sweet greens what are some of the other brands that you've learned that that she loves and has, has a lot of loyalty towards yeah so when it comes to brands like that she uses in her day to day life i would say Whole Foods, Trader Joe's, sweet green on the food front like apps that she can't live without are Uber, Com, Amazon. She's she very much buys a lot of things on Amazon and Instagram. When it comes to things she likes to splurge on once in a while is going to Dry Bar or Mini Lux, getting her nails done. She loves her Peloton or her local Soul Cycle or local yoga studio. And then definitely other things she likes to watch and listen to: This American Life, Netflix, HBO, Kelly Mom, 
feeding littles, things that that she can do, especially when it comes to the parenting stuff. Uh, she, she likes to do a lot of research and read and understand different points. So I would say those are just to give you a sense. Uh, that's obviously not totally inclusive. <laughs> there are things that you can take out of there, but just at a high level, those were brands, apps, activities that we kept hearing. And then same thing, when we asked her, what are her favorite baby brands? Obviously outside of kudos. Um, what, are, <laughs> what are things that she used, like brands that kept coming up were Love Every, Frida Baby, Tubby Todd, Hannah Anderson, Primary, Melissa Doug, Earth Mama Organic. So just to give you a sense of the types of brands that kudos customer aligns with that I'm sure there's a ton more, but those were some of the ones that we kept seeing over and over again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it, you can can definitely see some themes there as far as the type of products they like, the type of brands and the brand kind of styles that that those companies have, and obviously yeah. some some consistency there. Yeah. Now, with all that in mind, what what's important to her when it comes to to her baby? Yeah, no, no, that, I think that, and this is what I think all these brands have have in common. So I would say, if I had to pull out, like, what are things common trends amongst all of these these brands that I just mentioned. I would say safety and non-toxic ingredients is, is very important. Environmentally minded and ethical brands. Natural Nikki likes intuitive and simple designs, yet at the same time, she needs things that are extremely high quality. And going back to the point, the two points I kept harping on earlier, she needs to make sure the product actually works and is functional and that it's convenient. She is not going to compromise on using something that is subpar and takes any more time away from the very little time she already has. I would say those are probably the biggest things that when it comes to baby products in general, kind of the 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 things that we heard over and over again. Yeah, and I guess we'll dive right into it. So the question I asked earlier, what role does that play in her thoughts around a diaper or what she's looking for in a diaper? Yeah, so to the question of what is she looking for in a diaper, multiple things. And there, there's obviously like a lot of same trends and themes, but when we asked her to like rank all the things that she cares about in the diaper, the first thing was ingredients. Absolutely. Like where are the things sourced from ensuring that there was no added dyes, fragrances, that the diapers were hyperallergenic. So overall ingredients and making sure that everything was as non-toxic and responsibly sourced as possible was, was very important and that everything touching baby skin was not plastic. So I would say that was definitely number one. Number two, going back to the same point, performance. She wants a product that prevents leaks and blowouts. She wants something that's environmentally friendly. Then I would say comfort. Is it soft? Is it flexible? That's important. Absorption. I was a little surprised that that came a little bit lower on the <laughs> on the ranking list, but I think maybe that kind of is already tied into performance, which uh, came out much earlier. Um, convenience, which we've talked about over and over again. One thing she really does like about Kudos or another diaper brand that she uses is if there is a subscription so that it's very easy to, to not have to think about it. And, and making sure that it gets delivered to the house because diapers are large and bulky, and if you need to then pack your kid in the car and the stroller to go to the store, all of that is just adds time and inconvenience. Then she cares about a wetness indicator, which which most parents care about. Uh, for those of you who don't know what a wetness indicator is, it's it's kind of a blue line, or it's a it, it's usually a yellow line on the diaper. But then once the baby pees, 
that line turns blue so that you know the diaper needs to be changed. So I think uh, that falls right into convenience and then design. They want cute patterns on the design. And when and then when we asked them, so that was like generally what are they looking for in a diaper? And then when we asked Natural Nikki specifically why did they choose kudos, the top three reasons that we kept hearing were wanted safer materials touching their baby's skin, wanted to make a positive environmental impact, and wanted a diaper that was safe, particularly for sensitive skin. Yeah, and we, we actually just had a conversation with, with Jan O'Regan, former marketing director over at Cotton Inc., and she talked about the kind of hyperallergenic benefits of cotton and the impact on sensitive skin. I'm, I know in your presentation, you you know covered that and know all about that, so I know that's a, a very important one. I. But I think it was really interesting in some of our previous episodes, we always harp on, as you have, the fact that the it doesn't matter what the product is made out of. If it doesn't perform, they're not going to buy it. Like, that's that's obvious. But I found it really interesting in your research that that came after ingredients. So if the brand isn't meeting the standard of ingredients for Natural Nikki, it doesn't matter how well it performs. She's yeah. not buying it. She's not buying it. Yeah. There's that. And then I think for us, when it comes to cotton and sensitive skin, I mean, this is what I think we see a lot of people using kudos because like with, with Cotton Incorporated, they they recently completed a clinical study showing that cotton is absolutely clinically proven to be safe for sensitive skin. And what we found, if you're looking at a, a standard diaper, everything that's touching your skin is is plastic, even though it feels very soft. And that plastic does not have breathability. So the cotton and the way the, the fibers come together and allow for airflow, we've seen that to be a huge benefit for babies with sensitive skin, especially those that are prone to eczema and diaper rash that parents are finding with kudos because of the 100% cotton, the breathability of the fiber and the nature of the fiber, they're experiencing way fewer diaper rash, eczema symptoms are less. So for sensitive skin, the cotton really, really makes a difference. So we're not just trying to match the performance of Pampers and Huggies, but we're trying to be better and and solve for other problems as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the from a standard diaper on the market standpoint, you know, they do things to try and make it more breathable and through the through the back sheet and the channels in the core. But as anyone who's put on a cotton shirt or cotton outfit, like it's hard to compete with that breathability and that comfort. Yeah, I think like that's the best example to explain like what you are wrapping your baby with with a typical diaper and then what we're trying to do with like a breathable cotton diaper, but still being disposable. So you still have the convenience. We're not focused on the reusable diaper. Kudos to to parents that are able to do that. But uh, unfortunately, it's like less than I think even less than 5% of American parents even attempt clot diapering and then a very small percentage actually end up sticking through with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then some of the studies out there, and you mentioned this in a previous interview I listened to, but depending on where you live, what the access to water is, and all of those play a role in whether or not reusable is even a good idea. And and obviously, let alone the time and inconvenience yep. and stuff, it's yeah. uh yeah, like you said, kudos to those parents yeah, who want to do I mean, it. Me living in Southern California and Los Angeles, where where water is always a shortage, I would definitely not opt for hot diapering. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I'd like to pause here to mention this episode's sponsor, Cotton Incorporated. For the millions of people with sensitive skin, choosing non-irritating fibers is critical. As Amrita just mentioned, Cotton Incorporated enlisted the help of an independent lab 
to conduct clinical trials on the hypoallergenic and non-irritating properties of cotton on sensitive skin. When put to the test, cotton performs and its safety is clinically proven. In these clinical trials, they enlisted 200 participants and conducted 400 tests receiving zero irritation responses, making cotton the trusted fiber for parents and their baby's sensitive skin. Find out more at cottonworks.com forward slash hypoallergenic dash brochure. Cottonworks is your go-to tool and guide for producing outstanding cotton products. Discover what's possible with cotton at cottonworks.com. And now we'll get back to the episode. So we know what, what she likes. We know what she doesn't like. We know what her preferences are for, for diapers for her baby. So yep. with all that info, what does that mean for your own focus at Kudos for, for yep. meeting the needs of Natural Nikki with your products and kind of for the, the industry at large as far as trying to meet the needs for Natural Nikki and the products that are being created? Yeah, I think that this brings up a lot of opportunities, especially for like how companies and brands and then suppliers and the industry as a whole can work towards making a difference. I think there definitely needs to be a bigger push towards more plant-based resins available, more compostable materials, more investment in sustainability and R&D with, with large companies. I think those are all super important. And one thing I will say is like there is no 100% biodegradable compostable diaper on the market. There is elastic in a diaper. There, there are components that are just like, and if you didn't have an elastic in a diaper, then your diaper is not going to hold together. So there, there are components. I mean, for us, it's like we focused on everything that is touching the baby's skin. Can we make sure that that's plant-based, cotton-based? But would I love for us to have a diaper that is 100% sourced from renewable materials and that's 100% biodegradable compostable? Yes. Unfortunately, the industry is not there yet. And it's a little bit of a chicken and egg problem, right? Like a lot of suppliers don't want to invest in, in developing new technology because there's not a demand from brands to buy them, right? But brands don't want to buy it because they're the little bit that there is, it's often too expensive. So it's it's a chicken and egg problem. It's like, yeah. we need the world to invest more in the R&D. Like when is sustainability really going to become mainstream, right? The yeah. unfortunate reality of sustainability right now is that it is sustainable products, eco-friendly products, natural products in general, is that it is not available to everyone because it is often cost prohibitive, right? Mm -hmm. And brands are not just charging more, just the reality is, our raw materials are just so much more expensive. For me to use cotton over plastic, I am paying so much more. So at the end of the day, my margin is not any higher. I know consumers often are like, why are they just charging money to charge money? It's And until these suppliers can drop their costs with larger scale, so, so it's totally a chicken and egg problem, but I really hope that there's enough push and excitement from consumers to prove to suppliers and to brands that like this needs to be a focus. And then once those raw material costs can come down, then, then brands can offer the products cheaper. And then I think that's when you're going to start to see real change, right? Like right now, like I said, like natural Nikki, like you're only seeing about 15 to 20% of, of overall uh, millennial moms. How do we get that number closer to 90 to hundred? And I think cost unfortunately is, is a big part of it. So I think there just needs to be more investment in, in general, in these raw materials and the supply chains in order to be able to, to bring the costs down. Other things that 
I think there needs to be a huge focus on is satisfying like the consumer's desire for 100% biodegradable compostable solution. I mean, I want this as well. You want this as well. The, the technology, the industry, the engineering is just not there for that right now, but I'm hopeful that this is around in the near future. Yeah, and then- and- and yeah. I'll, I'll say, I mean, it, in, in Europe, things are a little different. They're more advanced than us in certain areas, particularly in the sustainability side. In the United States, even if we had the the perfect compostable diaper developed with everything that's biodegradable and you need, we don't necessarily have a great system in place to, to compost that. If, if there's a mass market for it and making sure that the soil is of a high enough quality coming from that composting process to be able to support life as opposed to just to biodegrade, there's, you know, as you said, there's a lot that needs to happen and the consumer demand is going to drive that. And, and then that, that leads to then changes in, in industry and developments that can then support that. And yeah, that chicken and the egg problem continues to rear its head when it comes yeah. to sustainability. And then, and then uh, like the last thing on the sustainability front is like, I think there's a lot of lack of trust and greenwashing between consumers and brands. And, and I think the way we overcome that is really like for brands to have be very, very clear about transparency of ingredients, the supply chain, the manufacturing. It should not be hard for a consumer to find the information they're looking for, which unfortunately is a reality of a lot. And like, and I've taken this as someone myself who likes to do a lot of research on products. Like I've tried to make kudos like as simple as possible. If you search our website, like what is every material in the diaper? What is it made from, et cetera? Because I think it's important. Like consumers, they deserve to know where you're sourcing from, where you're manufacturing from, and for all that information to be very easily available. So I think to build that trust with consumers, you need to be transparent. And it's okay to say we are not 100% there. I mean, we're not 100% there, right? Like like I said, there's still elastic in the diaper. We are not 100% biodegradable, compostable. And consumers are okay with that as long as you... You're honest with them about that. You're upfront with them about that. And you take them along your journey, right? I think that's the other thing. If you can bring them into your orbit from day one and they feel that they're part of this journey that we're, we're all working together and like, we're very good about taking consumer feedback and, and working with the consumers to make changes to the product. And I understand it's easier because we are a smaller company. I completely understand that. And, and it's not always possible for larger companies to do that. And and there are obviously a lot of a million different opinions and you can't satisfy everyone, but making consumers feel as much a part of the journey as they can, I think helps bring trust as well. Yeah. I mean, they want to be, they, they're investing in your product, but they want to be invested in your company. So if you can be open and honest with them, they're going to come with you and they're, they'll push you, but they're going to have a little more patience for the time and resources and effort it takes to get to where they want you to be. But it, as you said, it starts with that transparency and you're seeing it with some brands, your, your your brand being one of them, one of your competitors. I was actually reading their website last night and they actually specifically called out that their products use adhesives, which is the first I've seen anywhere. And so it's just kind of breaks down that barrier a little bit to the yeah. consumer to really trust that you're being upfront with them. And as you said, even if you're not 100% there, they can live with that as long yeah. as they know you're trying and you want them to know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really really looking forward to see how to hopefully um, see how that trend evolves in in the industry and and hopefully it 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 kind of snowballs a little bit that's the hope yeah 
So you mentioned at the beginning that this is obviously your 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 second start, the second startup that you founded, the third you worked at, which is a whole another story that, that that I was really interested to learn about, but that we don't have time for that. But you worked with Sathi in India for for several years and and were very involved in that entire start to production to commercial process. What did you learn, or did you learn anything from your work at Sathi that influenced your development of of not only kudos, but this specific natural Nikki persona? I mean, I think so many things. I think I would say first and foremost is like investing early on to understand your consumer. I think, I mean, so much of this natural Nikki is driven by if you don't really understand what your consumer is looking for, it's going to be hard. And I think people like when often when people start companies, they have an idea, they're like, I have this problem. Three of my friends have this problem. And like, this is how we're going to solve it. And your initial idea is definitely right. But as you talk to 50 to 100 other people who are facing the similar problem, you will realize that there's so much more complexity to the problem. So like my biggest advice is like the more you can spend early on. And I think we did not do, I did not do enough of that with Sathi, for example, like we, we were building first prototypes for Sathi when I was a senior at MIT and we built this product. We like did a bunch of research online, like what we thought. And then when we actually got to the, the, we brought the product to the ground in India. It was like, there were so many things that needed to be changed. And and I had this perception of like, okay, I'm going to work on developing this product for women in rural India. And this is, this is the way rural Indian women live, blah, blah, blah. No, there was so many things that had to be changed. And so I, I can't stress enough the importance of like, early on invest it's time consuming and like and and it's often why people skip this part of like developing the persona under I mean, you're in marketing you understand this that how important that is i would say that's that's number one i think the second thing is like being willing to take feedback consumers and make changes quickly you are not going to be able to make a perfect product on day one it's just it's just not possible so i think don't strive for that perfection because it's going to be 10 years before you get something into the market, if that, right? So I think it's okay, like being just transparent with your consumers, like these are things that still need help. This is what we're working on. This is how we're doing it and showing them that part of the journey and early testing, early testing, like get a prototype into the hands of customers as quickly as possible so that they can give you feedback, help you make changes early on. The, that would say, I, I would say are like some of the learnings that, that I've taken and that that there's still there's still still so much more to to do, but um, those are just some of the things. <laughs> yeah, and there's a a lot of that stuff hit home with me as we you know we developed this podcast. We we tried to do some of that same stuff. We we definitely failed in some areas, and we're too late to do stuff in other areas. But it's I think what's really remarkable about that, or really interesting about that, is that if you can do that, you already have a built-in consumer base and a built-in loyalty because you've brought them with you from the beginning and taken their needs into account and put those into the product and are continuing to put a better product in front of them. And rather than putting it out there and hoping that someone's going to buy it, you've built in that, that audience that is so invested in what you're doing and your product and your brand that they're going to gladly be advocates and tell all their friends about what you're doing. And it, it makes marketing a lot easier yeah, knowing yeah. that, you know, acquisition costs a lot easier. Especially for like our first couple hundred customers, like we had built a very, very tight knit feedback group early on. These people tested th 
three to four different prototypes of our diapers. We had them help us design the packaging, give feedback on that. So like when we launched, these people had felt, and they had been with us for like a year and a half, giving us feedback, answering surveys. And I think one thing is like, we, these are not, we didn't have to pay them. Like they felt they, they were excited to help and participate and help shape a new brand. So then as soon as you launch, these people were so invested that they all bought the product, right? And then they go tell their friends and they post in their mom Facebook groups. And, that, and that's how you, that's how you have to build momentum early on, especially when you have very little, little funding and budget for marketing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So kind of last wrap up question here, asking you to pull out your, your crystal ball a little bit through your experience in the market. I know your goal, I've heard your goal is to put kudos diapers on hundred percent of baby tushies in the future. And I, you know, I obviously wish you well in that goal because I, I love what you're doing and the kind of approach you've taken. You already mentioned that the natural Nikki persona of, of moms or parents who who are all in on on finding natural products and really doing the research is about 15 to 20 percent. How long do you think it takes to get to that 100 percent or I guess in the near future? Yeah. How high do you think we can get? It's a really good question. I think it comes back to the same. I think it's going to come down to price a lot. I mean, we are 20% more expensive than standard brands out there. And like I've said before, that's really driven by our raw material costs. And I think when you, the way you get to 100%, 90 to 100%, like when do you make the sustainable, you want to make the sustainable option more affordable, more convenient, perform better than its non-sustainable counterparts. And I think that's going to be driven by price because the reality is I understand everybody cannot afford to spend $80 on diapers a month. That's the reality of it and while i wish i could we could do things cheaply from day one we unfortunately cannot so i think a lot of it's like until the supply chains are further developed that those raw material prices come down i think it's going to be hard to get to 100 percent. i mean you're already seeing a bigger change and i think in five to ten years it's going to be like prices are going to come down. I wish I could give you a crystal ball and say in 20 years, sustainability is going to be cheaper than plastic alternatives, right? Or is going to be cheaper than plastic. And I think that's when, when you're going to see not the real change, but when it becomes mainstream. Yeah. Hopefully fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Soon. I mean, I'm Soon. hoping, and I, I mean, I think every year you're seeing more and more of sustainability becoming the norm, but we need to get that to the masses as well. <laughs> yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's the norm in certain communities, but we need to expand that to become a worldwide phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. And that's the big thing is, you know, there's the access to some of these products in and of itself is a, is an issue in many areas, including parts of India. So we have to overcome that hurdle while also overcoming the hurdle of the cost of sustainable products. So there's a, there's a lot to do, but I, I feel confident to say that we're on the right track. Uh, yeah. You, yeah. And I think everyone in the industry know, like everyone's excited about it. It's just a matter of getting the technology there, getting the resources, building on supply chains um, and making the pricing work. And, but, but I feel like we are on the right track. And I think from all the conferences we've been to, I feel like everything is moving in that direction. I, I mean, I think we all wish everything happened yesterday, but things take time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Amrita, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights about Kudos and Natural Nikki. I, I think it'll be really beneficial to our audience and I, I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Jack. And look forward to hopefully seeing you in person soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So there you have it. If you want to make sure that your product will actually have an audience that is willing to buy it once it is launched, you have to talk to that audience. 
through some combination of surveys, direct conversations, sharing prototypes, collecting feedback, and keeping them updated on your progress, you can not only design a product tailored directly to your audience, but you can create a loyal group of people that are almost guaranteed to buy your product once you launch it. Now, we just spent a whole episode talking about a small niche of consumers and their preferences around sustainable products. But if you still want to learn more about sustainability and corporate social responsibility in the disposable hygiene industry, Bostick can help with that. Over the last few years, we've developed a wealth of information on this topic. We have two white papers, a glossary of terms, an info sheet of commonly misused terms, eight webinars, four podcast episodes, and over a dozen website articles covering this topic in great depth. So if you'd like to learn more and turn yourself into the CSR and sustainability expert at your company, then just head to the show notes of this episode to see our full list of resources and click the link or links that interest you the most. Attached to Hygiene is brought to you by Bostic and it's hosted by me, Jack Hughes. It is produced and edited by me with the help of Paul Andrews, Michelle Tonkovitz, Emery Chernis, and Nikki Ackerman at Green Onion Creative. Our theme music is by Jonathan Boyle. We'd like to extend a special thank you to our guest today, Amritha Seigel. If you'd like to learn more from Amritha or stay up to date on the journey of Kudos, you can follow Amritha on LinkedIn and follow Kudos on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.